Now's a great time for us to uh, turn our attention to God's Word, isn't it? We're going to be reading two readings, firstly from Isaiah 53. So if you want to look that up in your Bibles, um, Isaiah chapter 53 is where we'll be starting this morning. Isaiah 53, starting at verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We're also going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Two Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 10 for our second reading. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. 
What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, we're certainly going to miss Thomas on our ministry team. He's thoughtful, cheerful, fun character to have around, uh, but we've got him for another couple of months, uh, and then, he, then the family will be staying with us at church, uh, so that's a real blessing. I'm going to lead us in prayer, so uh, will you pray with me? God, our Father, we do pray again for the McGonaghy family. Uh, we thank you for the blessing that they are amongst us. Uh, and we pray in this time of transition, uh, we pray that uh, yeah, Thomas will continue to be a blessing uh, to us over these next uh, couple of months, that you help him as he transitions to a new role. We pray that that will be good for their family, that you'll bless uh, the family as they continue to, uh, to grow in knowledge and love of you. And we pray that you'll continue to provide for the needs of our church in the midst of all of this as well. Father, thank you uh, that we can come to your word now. What a privilege uh, to come to the heart of the good news of Jesus. Uh, and we pray that you'll open our hearts uh, and our eyes uh, to what you have to say to us today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to uh, start off by talking about reality TV, because I've noticed there's a theme in reality TV, and the theme is a day of judgment. Uh, happens week by week. So this is the TV show Survivor, which apparently is in its 43rd season in the United States, so not so many in Australia, but um, the contestants have to survive on some remote place, like a, a desert island. Uh, they compete, 
They form alliances, they make promises, they break promises. But once a week, there is a day of reckoning. In Survivor, it's called the Tribal Council, and it happens at night. And they each take their torches to the Tribal Council, and they hold one another accountable on that night. Um, and one of them, their torch will be extinguished. Uh, and so, you know, for one of them, their deeds will catch up with them and they'll be expelled, voted off the island. Uh, the tribal council is filled with anxiety for all of the contestants. Will the others vote me out? Uh, and so what happens is the contestants try to make kind of deals behind the scenes to keep themselves safe. But what if, what if the others betray me? Uh, what if they don't keep their promises? Because I know I've broken a lot of promises. So, so there's that whole dynamic. Uh, and so they each have to wait for the tribal council uncertain, insecure and anxious. But for one of the contestants, that, that tribal council is a breeze. Right? For one of the contestants, it's actually an easy thing to go to the tribal council. They head up to tribal council whistling a happy tune uh, because they have immunity. Yeah. Uh, one of them might have won it or discovered this immunity necklace and they've got it hanging around their neck. And that immunity necklace means I cannot be voted off the island. Uh, I'm safe. And so I can head to tribal council with confidence. Now today we move beyond a game, uh, beyond reality TV to real life, and last week we heard of God's judgment, a day that is coming for every single one of us, a day that instinctively we know is coming, but so many people just kind of block it out of our minds. Uh, it's kind of too much to dwell on for many people. Uh, but we're told in the Bible that it is a day when each one of us will have to stand before God. And on that day, it, we won't be voting on each other. It will be the God who sees and knows all who will cast his verdict on our lives. Now, today, we're coming to the, good, the heart of the good news of Jesus. Today, we hear the immunity that Jesus offers us as we face that day in the future. And it is extraordinarily good news. Uh, we heard it from Isaac earlier. But this is such good news that when it clicks, uh, it, it transforms the way you live your life now. It transforms the way you think about the future, but it transforms the way you live your life now and the kind of the attitude to which you live your life. So I'm going to recap where we've been over the last few weeks. So a few weeks ago, we looked at God, the ruler of the world. He made the world. He made us to rule his good world, giving thanks and honour to him. Uh, that's the situation for everyone. God is our creator. But universally, we all reject God as our ruler. We run our own lives our own way. We don't love him as we should. We don't honour him as we should. And by rebelling against God's way, we damage ourselves we damage each other, and we damage this world uh, that God has placed us in. 
and God won't let us rebel against him forever. God is patient. He judges reluctantly, but he will judge. Uh, God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. And so last week we wrestled with this idea of God's justice and we reflected on how it's, it's deeply satisfying but also deeply disturbing at the same time. The idea of God's judgment is satisfying because when we live life in this world, we so often feel ripped off. We so often feel like evil people get away with their evil deeds and there are no consequences. And it kind of shatters our confidence in life to think that people could just get away with stuff and never be held to account. So the idea that, um, that there will be a day of justice is deeply satisfying. There's something deep within each one of us that yearns for things to be made right. And yet, when we reflect a little more deeply and we think about God's justice, we reflect, if God is going to be absolutely just, then that's going to, be, that's going to include me. Uh, and the way I haven't loved him as I know I should, the way I haven't given him thanks, the way I've ignored him, run my life my own way, the way I've treated other people, on that day of judgment, the disturbing thing is that I too will be called to account. And unlike us, you know, we might overlook the flaws you know, of ourselves or the flaws of others, but look at what God says. God says, I will not justify the guilty. I will not acquit the guilty. God's not a corrupt judge. You can't pay him off. Uh, he will not show favoritism. He doesn't kind of condemn some, but show favoritism to others. Have a look at this one. Proverbs chapter 17. Justifying the guilty and condemning the innocent the Lord detests them both. So this is what God detests. He detests inconsistent, corrupt, failure, injustice. And on the day of judgment in the future, there'll be no excuses, no ambiguity, no kind of you know, escape clause as if oh, I'm, I've actually qualified I've made the mark. God's judgment will be just. Now, how will you go personally on that day? Uh, as we think about a day of judgment in the future, it's, it's important to reflect on our own lives. How will I hold up on that day? Because personally, I want justice from God. I long for it. And yet I desperately need his forgiveness I need his mercy. And so I'm kind of torn. How can I have both God's justice but God's mercy poured out on me and those I love? Now, this is where the good news of Jesus, it really is such wonderful news. It is amazing news because God provides a substitute. So last week as we reflected on the judgment of God, we were reminded God will judge, but he does it reluctantly. He describes it as his 
alien task, his strange work. It's not kind of intrinsic to his heart. He's a God who loves from the heart and he doesn't want to condemn anybody. Yet, he will judge. He must judge. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see this pattern emerge where God provides a substitute. Right? You see it again and again, but I'm going to pick up on two instances in the Old Testament. Firstly, it goes back to 1500 BC, 1500 years before the coming of Jesus, um, when the people of God were in Egypt and God sent warning after warning uh, against Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Let my people go. Uh, God was so patient and again and again, Pharaoh hardened his heart, refused to let the people go. And so God was ready to bring judgment against the nation of Egypt. But God wanted to spare his own people from the judgment. And so he commanded all the households of the people of Israel to take a lamb and to slaughter the lamb and then to take some of the blood of the lamb and to paint it on the door frames of their house. So that when the angel of death came from God on that night and each house in Egypt experienced death as a result of God's judgment, even the house of Pharaoh experienced death on that night, the angel of death passed over every house of the Israelites, every house where the blood of the lamb was painted on the door frames because the lamb acted as a substitute for the members of that household. And so no human being died in each of those households. And so at this point, God's people then escaped from Egypt, they remember they came through the Red Sea, uh, the waters were parted, and as they headed towards the promised land, God gave them a whole bunch of laws. And God, in fact, established a whole sacrificial system based on the idea of a substitute, where your sin, you would kind of place your sin symbolically on an animal and kill it and offer it as a cleansing for your own sin. In fact, I want to pick up on one day of the year particularly called the Day of Atonement, where two goats were selected. Now, I actually uh, reenacted this a couple of years ago at a goat farm at Gillaby. I said, there are the goats uh, I discovered um, at Gillaby. Now, I just want to assure you, as I show you pictures, no goat was harmed in the filming uh, of this seen. Um, but first I had to catch a goat, which was not uh, so easy. So, but, uh, but two goats were selected. So one goat became a sacrifice of atonement, uh, an offering that would turn aside the wrath of God against the sin of the people. Uh, and so the idea was that the priest would place his hands on that goat and all the sin and guilt and shame of the nation was symbolically taken on by the goat. And then the goat was killed to cleanse the nation of sin uh, and to turn aside the wrath of God from the nation. And then another goat 
was, was captured called the scapegoat. And once more, the sin of the people, symbolically placed by the priest on the goat, and then the goat was sent into the wilderness, uh, which was a little ineffective in my uh, experiment. But they'd actually have a, a guy lead the goat into the wilderness. And it would have been an incredible moment for the community of Israel. Um, as they watched, they saw their shame, their guilt being placed on the goat. And the idea that then it was led away and away and away into the hills, into the wilderness, never to return. Just an, what an amazing symbol that is, that God has removed the stain of our sin from us. Imagine the, the power of that on a community. One goat dies in our place, bearing the penalty for our sin. Another goat takes our sin and removes it as far as the east is from the west, never to return. And yet, even as you, even as you sort of see these pictures and, and think about this ceremony, you ask the question, can a goat or a lamb or a bull really stand in my place? How does that work? Um, what, what, did, what did the goat do to deserve my sin? And how can a goat stand in for me or for a whole nation? And the Bible picks up on this kind of question. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 puts it like this. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And what Hebrews points out to us is that it was all uh, a kind of a teaching aid to actually point towards a greater sacrifice than a goat. And so as you continue on through the Old Testament, so 1500 BC, the sacrifices and the Passover lamb, 800 years later, in 700 BC, God unveils his master plan. God will send a human being, a righteous servant of God. Uh, and this one, there won't be anything remarkable about his appearance. He will actually despised, he will be despised and rejected, kind of scorned by the people. But almost every verse in Isaiah chapter 53 speaks about the role of this righteous servant as our substitute. So just listen as I read it out. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. It was like it was our suffering was placed on him. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord, just like the priest did on the Day of Atonement with that lamb, uh, with the goat, the Lord has laid on him, this righteous one, the iniquity of us all. Uh, and that is exactly what takes place 700 years later when Jesus steps into our world. 
uh, and he will be despised and rejected. Even though he was innocent of any crime. And even Pontius Pilate said that. He said, I've got nothing against him. He hasn't done anything wrong. But they demand that he be executed. And God tells us very clearly that when Jesus died on the cross, in all the shame and humiliation and degradation that he went through, that he was taking on himself the penalty of our sin. He didn't die because of his own sin, but he died in our place as our substitute. And I just want to pick up three, three implications of all of this. Firstly, sinners like you and me can now be justified. Now, remember at the start, God said, I will not justify the guilty. And you think, well, that's a real problem. Well, have a look at Isaiah 53, right at the end. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. He has poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. For the sin of many, he, sorry, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. See, in the death of Jesus... God, the righteous judge, enables sinful people like you and me to be forgiven. To have our sins removed, like the scapegoat carrying our sin far, far away. Uh, he bore our sin in his body. So Romans chapter 3 in the New Testament talks about it like this. All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely. Freely in that none of us has to pay a price. It's God who pays the price. Uh, we are all justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. It's not something we burnt, but we put our trust in Jesus. Uh, and so God is both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Here is, here is how God is the just judge, and yet he can show mercy. He can justify sinners at the same time, how can he do that? How can he act in justice, complete justice, and yet justify sinners like you and me? It is all because he sent Jesus as our perfect substitute. Now, a few years ago, um, in the same filming session, actually, I went down to Wyon Court. This is a reenactment. I didn't do anything wrong deserving of Wyong Courthouse. But anyway, there I was. And can you notice, look, look how am I feeling? How, do you, how would you describe me? Anxious, right? I'm worried, feeling guilty. But remarkably, I go in, 15 minutes I'm in there, and then I come out jubilant. And you think, well, how did that happen? It's because I was declared justified by the judge. That is, a great way to remember this is just if I'd never sinned, right? 
not guilty. Now, if you have your faith in Jesus, that is what has happened to you. Right? Standing before the judgment of God and you think, I'm ill-prepared. Right? If God gives me what I deserve, I am in a bad way. And yet God places your sin on Jesus. Jesus dies the death that you deserved to die. And that means that God the judge is able to pronounce you not guilty. Your sin has been paid. All the penalty has been exhausted in the Lord Jesus. And so the judge can now declare you not guilty. You've been justified as you put your trust in Jesus. There is the wonder of the good news of Jesus. Uh, And what it means is we don't have to pretend any longer. You know how so so much of life we hide the worst of ourselves. Um, we, we sometimes even hide it from ourselves, but you can't hide it from yourself, can you? We're, we're kind of aware of our own shame, but we try to hide it from others. And we can even play this game where we try to hide it from God. But because of Jesus' death in our place, we can come clean with God. We can actually own up to the stuff without having to make excuses, and we can say to God, please forgive me. Please remove my sin. Please wash me clean through Jesus' death in my place. And God's answer to that is, yes, I will. The price has been paid. And it's because God is the just God, but he judges reluctantly, And he has provided a substitute, the perfect sacrifice in Jesus, which means that God now promises to forgive anyone who comes by faith to Jesus. Second outcome, Jesus reconciles us to himself through Jesus. Now, we all know about the idea of being reconciled. I'm going to, again, a few years ago, this same little photographic journey... But this one, this one had a reality to it. Um, what happened is I borrowed a book from Wyong Library. It's now called Central Coast Library, but Wyong Library. Um, and then I lost the book. Right? And, and I felt bad about it. Uh, and I felt like, you know, because I knew that library fees added up. I didn't know exactly the work, but I figured, because it had, it had been months, maybe even years... I figured that my debt must be enormous. And so every time I would walk into Woolworths at, you know, where is it? Westfield Tugger. I'd walk past the library and this pang of guilt would hit me. This is true, right? I would feel just a little bit of sense of, oh, I, don't even, I didn't even feel comfortable walking into the library anymore because I knew that there was a debt that had been unpaid. And then I... I kind of worked up the courage to work out. To, to, I rang the library and I said, what would it take to actually make things right? And they said, well, you just have to get another book by the same author, bring it in, and that's it. And I thought, man, all, this, you know, all these years of just agony. And so I, just, I went out and bought another book by the same author, uh, took it to the library, handed it over. Me and the librarian kind of had a laugh together. And we're now friends 
shook hands. All good. <laughs> She's thinking, what the heck is going on here? Anyway, but that was, that was my journey. Um, now, with God, with God, our problem is far worse, isn't it? Because it's not just one book that we've kind of forgotten to return or, or lost along the way. We were made, we are made in his image right? uh, for relationship with him. And yet we live lives where we ignore him, we fail to honour him as he deserves, uh, we fail to kind of love him, we, we, we ignore him. And we fail to treat others with the honour and respect they deserve as well. And so the debt we have against God is real, it's massive, it's personal. Because that librarian, she didn't even know about it. Right? But with God, he knows, and it's, we have personally offended God. And it's just, our debt is far bigger than we could ever hope to repay. There's no phone call where God says, yeah, yeah, just do a few good deeds and you can sort it all out. But Jesus paid it all in our place as our substitute. So look at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, that Thomas just read. It says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, in the Old Testament, you had the goat or the lamb or the bull or whatever it was you brought as a sacrifice or a substitute. But the wonder of the good news of Jesus is that God himself steps in. God the Son became a man, the perfect substitute. One who could perfectly kind of mediate between me and God because it is God taken on human flesh. Uh, and so he is the only one qualified to actually take the penalty for my sin and for the sins of the whole world. And that's what he does. See verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus. And that is so good. And I, I just want to ask, is there any of you here today who is still not reconciled with God? Uh, is there anyone here today who, where you feel like, we, I, haven't, I haven't come clean to God? Uh, there's still an issue that's going on between me and God. Can you see the words on the screen? Be reconciled to God. It, God has done everything required from his side. He wants relationship with you. He has bought relationship at an incredible cost. The only thing stopping you being reconciled to God is, I don't know what it is, pride, uh, disbelief, a feeling that, can I trust God? Well, I, I want to assure you, you can trust God. 
and he has done all that is needed. And so just park your pride aside and humble yourself before him and be reconciled to God. I want to talk about one more blessing. The last blessing is the confidence we now have as we face the future. And I've just picked up Romans chapter 8. As I was writing this sermon, I just wanted to pack so much in. And I could have talked about so many other blessings, you know, new birth, you know, the Holy Spirit poured into our heart. There's just a myriad of blessings that come through Jesus' death in our place. But Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. We're not condemned now, but on that day in the future when we stand before God, the righteous judge, no condemnation on that day. And during this week, this song has been going around in my head. You know the song, And Can It Be? And I grew up singing that song, Love it. I didn't tell Jenny, so she would have had it on the playlist, I'm sure. But and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued. And then the last verse, no condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. It's just those words send uh, kind of get the hairs on the back of my neck standing up, especially when I'm with my brothers and sisters and we sing Bold I Approach the Eternal Throne. And you think, wow, anyone coming in at that point would think that's arrogance. Who are they to think that they can be bold? as they approach the throne of God. And I want to say, no, it's not arrogance. It's actually humility. It's humility to say, I I don't deserve to stand before God on that day, but God has made a way. He has given me his promise, and I will humbly trust the verdict of God. That if God says it's been dealt with, then it's been dealt with. And so I can face the day of judgment with courage and boldness and even joy. No condemnation now, I dread. I want to tell you um, the closest, I want to tell you of the most Christ-like moment in my life. Now, some of you may have heard this before, and that's because it's a moment that needs to be shared regularly. Uh, and it goes all the way back to kindergarten. So when I was at kindergarten, we had this... Um, my teacher was just an interesting, the more I think about it. But um, what, what happened is she didn't like us with our sniffles and runny noses and so on. So we had to take a hanky to kindergarten each week, each day. Each day, can you believe it? I uh, have to have a hanky in your pocket. Um, and... She got to this point where, so we'd sit in a circle at the start of the day, and if we didn't have evidence that we had a handkerchief, we didn't show a handkerchief, then we had to get up and sit in the seat of shame in the middle of the circle. So while everyone's singing songs and so on, you'd sit in the seat of shame. And so that really was an incentive to bring your hanky to kindergarten. Now, I was walking to kindergarten one day, 
And my, my friend with me burst into tears. I said, hey, mate, what, what, what's wrong? He said, I've, I've forgotten my hanky. And do you know what I did on that day? I reached in my pocket, took out my hanky, and I said, you have mine. And we went up to kindergarten, and I sat in the seat of shame in his place. Now, isn't that a Christ-like <laughs> now that's as good as it gets. So if you wanna, if you wanna, in the biography of Dave Sheath, all the good things that is that is it. Um, but but as heroic as that was, it what Jesus did for us is infinitely better. Can you believe that? Yes. <laughs> what Jesus did is infinitely greater. We were heading towards the judgment day. That is the destination for every one of us. Whether we like to believe it or not, that's where we're heading. A day when we will each stand before the God who made us. And here we are, utterly ill-prepared. It's like we're heading towards that day when we'll stand before the holy righteous judge and we're wearing these clothes that are stained in sin and guilt and shame and we're utterly ill-prepared and so we head towards the judgment either kind of living in denial or living in dread of that day and along comes Jesus and he is wearing the righteous robes of his perfect life always loved God always loved his neighbor and what Jesus does is he says to us here, you take my clothes and I'll take yours. And Jesus puts on our stain, our, the stain of our sin and our shame and he heads to the judgment day before us. And he dies bearing the penalty and the consequences for our rebellion against God. He died the death that we should have died. And it leaves us... We're now clothed in Jesus' righteousness. You know, not, not, not a stain of sin on us. Something of disbelief. Could this really be true? And yet God assures us it is true. The price has been paid for what I've done in the past, for my sin in the present, and for my sin in the future. Jesus paid it all. And so what it means is now, in somewhat of disbelief, I actually head towards the judgment with confidence, dressed in Christ's righteousness. Bold, I approach the eternal throne. And remember the idea of um, immunity that I talked about at the start. We now have the ultimate immunity, right? The righteousness of Jesus is ours if we just put our trust in him. Now, I just want to, as we finish up, I just want to take you to Isaac's story that we heard earlier. Uh, so growing up, he had heard the good news of Jesus, but then there was a moment when it clicked for him. Uh, and it has been really lovely getting to know Isaac uh, over the last uh, year or so. But he, he said, I realised Jesus died specifically for my sins. That 
I'm not just a number to Jesus. I matter to him. And something about that that clicked for him, that, Jesus, that God loved me individually enough to send his son to die, not just for the world. He did. He died for the world, but he died for me. Uh, even though I'm unrighteous and undeserving, it emphasised, these are the words of Isaac, it emphasised what I'd heard over and over during my upbringing, but it finally broke through that Jesus had paid the ultimate price for me. Isn't, isn't that a beautiful story? And I just want to reflect on that and say that it is possible to come to church week after week and kind of not get it, for it not to kind of click home where you kind of hear these things, but it still remains kind of external to me. Uh, but for Isaac, it, it, there was a moment of realisation where Jesus died for me. He paid the price for me. Uh, and he talked about a youth leader who had that kind of conversation that made him feel a little bit uncomfortable, but also was part of his journey for wrestling with the implications of what Jesus had done for him. And I just want to say, if you're in any doubt about your standing before God, uh, if, you're, if you don't feel like you have that sort of confidence as you face the future, why don't you talk to someone about that today? Uh, don't, don't put it off. Don't, don't, don't be too proud to have that conversation uh, because there's so much at stake God wants to be reconciled to you. And he has done everything that needs to, to happen. He has provided the one perfect sacrifice for your sin. And he just wants you to come humbly before him and ask for forgiveness and put your trust in the Lord Jesus. And so if that's something that you're not really confident about then please talk to someone today. I'd love you to talk to me, but if not me, find someone to have that conversation with. Uh, that would be a wonderful thing. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. God, our Father, we are sorry that we have rebelled against you, not given you the thanks, not loved you as you deserve. We realise that on our own, we deserve condemnation. But thank you for your amazing, amazing love that you provide Jesus as our substitute, that he died in our place, in my place. Please forgive me, forgive us through Jesus. Please justify each one of us so that it is just as if we had never sinned. The penalty has been paid. Please remove the stain of guilt and shame. And thank you that through Jesus we are now reconciled with you. Please help us to live with a confidence. Confidence that doesn't come from ourselves and our own righteousness, but that it comes from Jesus and knowing that there is no condemnation for those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus. 
And we pray these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.